Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and this week I'm talking an anime that surprised me quite a bit. Um, that being My Dress-Up Darling. Uh, surprising because I'm not usually one for, like, romance shows. And I talked about this when I went into uh, Love After World Domination, which... Wasn't the greatest thing, but had enough going for it that it was good enough. Um, shows like that really end up being about who are the characters, what is their like, what is their hook in the show, and then what is their kind of overall chemistry as characters. Because I've said before, whether it's a game or an anime or whatever I'm watching, if you're going to do a romance subplot or a main plot. They have to feel like characters that would actually be together or would actually seem like they'd be together or at least pop off the screen and be interesting. And I think this show ended up succeeding in both. Um, and it really does come down to those characters and the the cosplay stuff in the, you know, the dress up stuff is kind of the the side plot, really. It's the selling point of the show, but at the same time, it's really about the romance stuff. But it works in the sense that the inner mechanics of the show and the writing are good enough to make up for some weird foibles, like some extra fan service that seems unnecessary and some other things going on. But I was talking about the characters before. We start with uh, Wakana Gojo. In the English version, voiced by Paul uh, Dete, however you pronounce it, he's a newer voice actor. Didn't have much of a profile that I can remember. Um, or if he does, he's in shows that I've not seen yet. But Gojo's idea is he is a lot like Kanji Tatsumi in Persona 4. That immediately what I thought. Except for the fact that it, Kanji's really like straightforward and terse and like really like yeah you know that sort of thing this guy is like meek and unassuming and just doesn't care about himself but the idea is that his fondness for basically growing up creating um fabrics and creating hina dolls basically that is his profession or he is a student of his grandfather who is teaching him the art of doing so and doing that makes him feel like he's an outcast so he doesn't really interact with people he doesn't talk to them about tv or movies or anime or games or whatever and i can kind of relate to that i've said before that i'm the kind of person that doesn't really talk to people unless i have something to talk about and i kind of shut myself off unless i'm kind of you know aware of a person and know what their what their vibe is and um i, I can kind of relate to this guy and he ends up going to school and finding this girl marine kitagawa or kitagawa i i forget because Kitagawa was the pronunciation for Yusuke in Persona 5, so I'm going to say Kitagawa. I, I'm guessing that's how they do it. So Kitagawa is voiced by uh, Amanda Lee, who I know as Amelie, who's the YouTuber cover artist for a lot of anime stuff. So I've listened to her stuff for a good four or five years, maybe even longer at this point. Um, but she's 
done tons of voice acting stuff, mostly minor roles. Uh, I think Jubiphonics also done the same thing on a smaller, like less roles, but still does them on occasion. But again, she's primarily cover art, cover artist for a lot of YouTube, for a lot of anime openings and endings. Some of my favorites were like um, the Chobits opening, some Dot Hack stuff, Red Fraction from Black Lagoon. She did Spice and Wolf. Uh, stuff from Madoka Magica, stuff like that. N and a lot of that really good stuff. So it makes sense that her voice would make sense going from singing to acting. It works as well. And you could tell she's a fan of it. So in this version, she is Marin. And Kitagawa is really good. <sighs> Damn it, I'm going to do it all the time now. Kitagawa is good at playing the foil, but also playing the kind of the titular character because... Gojo is unassuming. You get to know him better, and some of his weird foibles make sense the more you watch the show, but you're really watching this for uh, Kitagawa because as soon as you see her, she's like super cute, super outgoing, but also a goofball. And the fact that she loves anime, the fact that she loves cosplay, the fact that she just does everything, it's just... Everything she says and everything she does is veering into insanity, but it never comes across as trying too hard. The writers manage to find a character who is likable, but stupid, but in a way that doesn't come across as bad either way. And I think it comes down to Kitagawa having this sense that even though Gojo is closed off and doesn't really like to talk to people, she's just trying to keep him in line and saying, you know what, like what you like, and people can say what they want. Who gives a shit? Very outgoing, very outspoken, and honestly, very filthy. That's the first thing I noticed with this show was how filthy it can be. I remember, I think they were going back from a movie and these people were standing in line at a restaurant or whatever, and they're listening to them talk, and they're talking about the game that they're getting cosplay from, and da 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 da, -da and then the, the guy ejaculates, <laughs> just racy ass jokes that I kind of wasn't expecting from from a from a romance show. So it's definitely veering towards weird, like gross maturity, in a way. So bear that in mind is just the way they talk and. Again, a lot of it is cliche stuff, but there's this kind of like earned um, confidence because a lot of shows tend to be very stock and very boring and like, you already know what's going to happen. We're just kind of going through the motions with our writing and we're, you know, no, this is not taking chances, but it's also not kind of insulting your intelligence. And when you watch as much stuff as I do, it, it you kind of know the difference between a show that's just there to talk to very basic, very boring, very bland writing versus, oh, yeesh. All right, this is different. This is trying really freaking hard. Okay, I'm going to pay attention more. So between the characters making sense and the storyline being kind of neat and their writing being very risque, which translates to the fan service thing, which I'll talk about later, you get these two characters that kind of bounce off each other really well. And the idea is 
Gojo's using the sewing machine in the office because in the in the home ec room because the stuff at home is broke. Uh, Kitaga, um, Kitagawa shows up in a kind of bare bones costume from a thing called Slippery Girls. Yay. Um, so again, risque stuff. So she's open to talking about anime and stuff. And uh, again, with the writing, what, their first exchange is just her just blabbing on about this game that, and he just is like alien technology, like an alien person's walked into his life. This is literally, that's what it is. This amazingly cute girl that he barely knows is like, giving him a spiel about oh my god your stuff is looking so good can you do me can you get me some cosplay outfits and stuff so so he races for the next like three or four episodes and i do like that for the first cosplay stuff they kind of dug into who they are as people how do you go about the process how do you deal with it um what little tips and tricks because i'm not really a cosplayer i've done it on a couple of occasions but i've never dug into like the mechanics of it so again somebody who is a professional or somebody who does it even more as a hobby more so than me just doing it once in a while might find it either infuriating or might get some information out of it and how to do it because it's not something that i mean it's been around for a while but i don't think it is as big a deal as one would think and it's kind of that subculture thing that i believe anime starting to tap into because there are some times where shows think that their fandom is way more into their thing than they are and the idea that an anime fan like an anime character in an anime would be basically nutso for for like anime and visual novels and video games because you get that set up for like isekai all the time the gamer dude who's a dork and talking all that stuff this show kind of veers against trying to make that all of the dialogue which is what i fear sometimes because sometimes you try to go too inside and too much about the cliche talk and all the verbiage and all the weird stuff. This is something I dealt with. I was on vacation a while ago and I was trying to watch cyberpunk edge runners and I was watching with my mom and we were liking it to a point, but then the guy started showing up and there was a bully in the first episode and the guy kept talking about how the main character was some scrub who had weaker software and was doing all this weird stuff they were using a lot of like verbiage right they weren't talking like people would it's the it's that sort of thing this is the best way i would describe it it's not saying that a show is bad because they're using insider lingo or terminology from a thing like you have to explain it for people but you also have to dumb it down for people who have never experienced a thing so in cyberpunk it was game technology and software and hooking in and whatever it was like when i was talking about uh battle network and they kept talking about jacking in and executes and all all that like 2000s elite speak you know because that's what their language was that was done in more of a kid-friendly way cyberpunk was trying to do it in a more edgy way but it came across well i'm not getting the vibe that this guy's threatening because he keeps talking about weird dialogue 
Dress Up Darling does that a little bit, but they don't forget that this isn't about the cosplay stuff all the time. And if you're going to talk about cosplay stuff, you're going to show what's happening with the outfit. What's the dress? Is it they giving these little cut-ins to say, okay, the little things here are doing this and doing this? Because Gojo's going to know more about how to do this stuff, but then uh, Kitagawa has knowledge of this other stuff that she knows because she's done it, or this is how like meetups and greet-ups work, this is how conventions work, and then they do the, the typical shenanigans of, oh, money, oh, shit, we're in a love hotel, oh, shit, we're at home together, you know, that sort of weird shit. So you have that kind of dichotomy of two things going on at once. So they don't really they don't really obsess over the details of the cosplay stuff over and over. And after the first two, the other cosplays kind of slowly die down in importance. I just become a backdrop to the relationship, which I do prefer. This is one of those shows that I do think loses steam. The more you do it, because again, 13 episodes is a nice round amount you know it's not enough to drive you insane but it's enough to get you where you're going but in a romance situation how many little contrivances can you build up to build tension and whatnot and some of the situations are kind of stupid like again being in a love hotel and it springs to mind the other characters in this the main other character is uh Sajuna Inui, who goes by Juju, um, voiced by Risa May. She's the, I'm the, I'm a small looking girl, but I'm totally older, you know, that annoying trope. Um, but she's been around for a while and she plays off the other characters a, a lot better because Kitagawa is a fan and Inui is just like, what the fuck are you doing? This is crazy. So she gives him help and these other things. They do the sort of like, oh my god, this guy's touching me, whatever. It's It doesn't veer into that sort of harem bullshit yet, which is kind of nice, but it sort of does. But I, again, they know this is about the two main leads. So the th second girl is there just as a as a foil for the cosplay stuff, which is, which is kind of fair. Um, really, the idea with all three of them is, as I said before... Inui is trying to give them knowledge on kind of the finer points of doing this because she's doing it for fun and, you know, doing it as a fan, but she's trying to take it very seriously. Kitago, uh, Kitagawa is just really rough around the edges and very outgoing and very outspoken. And Inui is just like, what the fuck are you doing? So, again, there's that little, like, tension there of these characters. But they never go into, like, a rivalry thing. I'm kind of glad that it, like, goes past the whole rivalry situation really freaking quick. And then Gojo is kind of the go-between of, like, yeah, you're actually really good at this whole creating stuff. And, and yeah, getting back to his grandpa just showing up and seeing him play a hentai game out of nowhere for research. For research but you know you get to see little cool stuff like what a gap like a cosplay gathering would be like um little things about 
the characters because they are going to make a second season of this. So they're not trying to give away too much too fast. But a lot of it is contrivances to get them in different situations and, you know, meet up and slowly fit together. It is all about chemistry. And this is going to be another one of those weird issues where um, I've talked about fan service before. And this game, or game, <laughs> well, Slippery Girls probably does. But the the show does focus on it a little too much. But it's also, again, about that self-confidence of knowing that this is a show that isn't just trying to rely on it for the sake of, ha ha ha, it's funny, isn't it funny that she's got her boobs out? No. They're in on the joke enough, I think. One of the first episodes is Kitagawa showing up out of nowhere and saying, hey, I need you to take my measurements. And then Gojo is just like, I don't want to take your measurements and all that junk. So again, she's in, like, she plans it and she shows up in her in her swimsuit and whatever. It is uncomfortable. Like, I get it. But it is a thing you would have to kind of do. But they don't... How would I describe it? They don't go overboard where every five seconds they're just showing a, a sequence just for the hell of it. It, it never veers on uncomfortable uncomfortable um because there are shows that within five seconds you know that they're just trying to show off a panty shot you know this is kind of that mid-level fan service where it's kind of like it makes sense for the show and it's also kind of weird but i think you can get away with it provided that you like the characters enough and i do think that there is enough here like from a standpoint of these characters, you know, doing the weird stuff. I, again, this isn't a show that isn't without losing some steam because there's only so much that you can be around these certain characters all that much. And they do take the cosplay stuff, which is the main kind of sub hook. And they don't focus on it as much. Like the first few episodes, they talk about that first cosplay experience for like four episodes five episodes and then they spend like one or two in the next one and then another one is like an episode if a half an episode so again they only had 13 episodes to work with until they got the you know the sequel announcement so who knows what they'll do but really it's never going away from the show that is trying to be a romance so bear that in mind. The, the fan service stuff may drive you away, but I do think the confident dialogue and the fact that uh, Kitagawa is such a, magnet, a magnetic personality holds the show up way better than it has any right to. And, I, and that's why I would definitely recommend it. But that'll do it for me. I'll have to remember I, I accidentally messed up half this episode and i have to merge them so i'll try and edit them together so i don't have to re-record a 30 minute thing but i do have everything set up so that i'm ready for the next couple of months i've made it known that on my uh community feed i haven't been taking suggestions for 
uh, podcasts for a while because I'm getting set up for the 100th episode and I'm also doing the two-year podcast anniversary in July. So so in June and July, we've got those coming up. So I kind of have to work with what I've got. But I still have the plan to get back into those um, community polls for game and anime review suggestions going forward. So that'll be mid-July mid-August somewhere on there but for going forward we have the Legend of Lagaya review with Lee which we've recorded a while back Chobits really good the Persona 4 Golden review which I did end up kind of refreshing stuff on things I haven't gotten to in game yet even though I'm really close to the end at time of recording no guarantees by the time I record this episode that I'll be done fully with that recording session. So it's a good thing I know my way around Persona 4 Golden enough that I'm not worried about it. So it will be spoilerific, so bear that one in mind if you haven't watched the um, watched the playthrough. After that, we get into, into July uploads. It will be Space Battleship Yamato 2199 and 2202. This one surprised me. This one is really good because it feels like Star Trek in anime form, but it also does so from the sense that it gives you time with the characters, and there are a lot of them, but gives you their backstories and actually gives backstories to the antagonists quite a bit. So you get to see things from their perspective, and it really elevates the show from a really kind of eh, it's just a space battle space opera whatever no they're digging deep into character motivations and making you care about these people on this journey so that was a really big surprise it was a show from about 10 years ago it was a remake of something from the 70s and they did a really good job um speaking of space operas july 9th will be xenosaga episode one uh the will to power or the will to uh, freedom or however it's der Willisemacht, however Nietzsche pronounced pronounced it. It's German. But Zenosaka episode one. Very good, but also leads to very weird things going forward. And it is uh it is a spectacle, if nothing else. Zenosaga was one of my favorite uh game franchises of the PS2 era, but it's not without its weird idiosync idiosyncrasies. I can word um july 16th will be ruby volume 9 really good rebound i think people have been kind of iffy on ruby for a while i understand that but i do think the last few volumes have been really good and this one goes for a different sort of feel taking away a lot of the atlas subplots and a lot of the characters from that and really focusing in on not just the main four but Jean and Neo specifically as side characters and limiting the amount of time for other people to do other stuff. So, but there's still a lot of stuff going on. So they mix the Alice in Wonderland stuff with some interpersonal stuff with trying to figure out all the crazy stuff that's been going on and trying to get back to where everybody else is for volume 10. I found it to be a successful season and I do want to talk about it, especially coming off the, that was ice queendom. So volume nine was, it was a, it was a hit for me. 
And then July 23rd will be the two-year podcast anniversary. So that's just kind of a rundown of where not only this channel, but the main channel have gone. Some other kind of things about what I've done over this past year to change things. It's not a big difference, but it is kind of an update thing. It's a look back at some of the stuff that I've done, or if there was any particular episodes or any particular games or shows that were like really big for me, um, for all of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, and it'll be nice to talk about that. Um, I'll just have to make sure to splice these two episodes because there was a weird glitch halfway in between this one. So I'll just have to edit them together. It'll, it might sound a little awkward, but hopefully it won't be too bad. But that'll do it for me, and I'll see you guys next time. Citizen Strive, signing off.